Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 44. All the fours, it's 44. That is the bingo call, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. I, I mean, I I'm am pretty sure it but... is. It's also the, the, the UK dialing code if you're mm. abroad. Plus double yeah. four, knock off the O from the start and the number, start dialing, Bob's your uncle. Um, I always get, I'm terrible with dialing codes, particularly single digit ones, because mm. are you meant to leave all the O's in? Are you meant to take them off? Uh, so I find it's best that I just never call anyone or pick up the phone or right. communicate at all. Yeah, Spoken like a true millennial. <laughs> it's worked out really well for me so far. Mm-hmm. I only communicate via TikTok. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's more of a Gen, Gen Z sort of thing, isn't it? Well, fa- thanks, I- Ian. <laughs> Dab once for yes, dab twice for no. What? I don't even. I don't even have a TikTok account. So, like, if you're if you're doing a race on who's the least cool, I think I'm winning in that account right now. Fair enough. Anyway, we we are here back as always uh, to talk about board games and tabletop RPGs. I am Matt Jarvis. I'm joined once again by two of the team, joined by Johnny Chiadini. How are you doing today, Johnny? I am all right, thank you very much. I had a bracing morning. I took out the recycling, Ooh. put a new bin liner in the bin. It's all <laughs> go here. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> Woof indeed. That's all I got. That's all. Literally all I got. All right, wonderful, excellent. Uh, me and how are your bins? How are my bins? Um, <laughs> they're pretty good now. I threw out some oil the other day. That's fun. Oh. Uh, yeah, throwing out oil is not a pleasant experience. Can't put it down the drain. No, please don't do that. Mm. Never do that. And never put coffee grounds down the drain either. Cause... Oh, I'm guilty of that one. Yeah, you're going to be having problems with your plumbing if you're doing that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you just uh, it's not just the throwing away. It's also the cleaning of the container afterwards mm. like oil just stoop. it really doesn't want to go away mm. <laughs> so yeah that's my bin news that's what we come here for right to talk yeah. about bins. that's what people go on tiktok for right we're channeling <laughs> they go on there to learn little hacks about you know yeah, how hacks. to clean this or yeah like here's how to yeah. scoop an, out an avocado using like a piece of paper uh, mm. and like a staple yeah mm. yeah it's you know that's what's replaced like life hacker and all of that. It's just endless TikToks of how to improve your life that you instantly yeah. forget once you're yeah. done. It's like how brands like Lad Bible that used to be about like, you know, going out and lad culture, they're now just like videos being like, Oh, look, this guy taught his daughter to blah 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 because they've all grown up and started having kids. Mm. It's very funny. <laughs> oh, the circle of life. Yes, I believe that's what Elton John was was getting at. <laughs> that, that, that bridge that's all about the lads yeah. and how they it's don't just... they don't go out drinking with Susie no more. Yeah, you should have seen Zuzu in his drinking days. He was. <laughs> Do you mean oh no, Zazu. Zazu. Sorry, Zazu. Oh, he'd Come answer on. by anything after two pints. He'd go. He'd go by Zazzle, Zazzalicious, anything. Uh all right. Uh, let's let's chat about what we've been playing, shall we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's let's crawl our way towards yep. a semblance of a podcast. <laughs> like a like a lad after a particularly rough night out. Mm. Let's crawl our way to talking about <laughs> board games. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right, me and let's let's kick off with you. What have you been playing this week? Mm, what have I been playing? I've been playing. Uh, I play a bit of Seven Wonders Ooh. on the old board game arena, which is a browser version of like various digital games. They've got a decent collection on there. Um, 
one of my friends is testing out like a trial uh, of the subscription service. And if you've got one of those, you can invite your friends to play with you uh, without them having to have a paid subscription. So uh, that was good. I've never played Seven Wonders before. Mm. Uh, I know. Actually, Something. I haven't either. Yeah, well, maybe that's a that's a, a have. What's your video series? How have you not played? Or our, our video series, please. Yeah. Sorry, Thanks. sorry. Our video series. It's called You've Never series. Played, and it's it is actually yeah. on the list because I I've never played some. I played someone as Duel, but never the. Oh, the... okay. That was going to be my question. Mia, yeah. did you play Duel, or did you just avoided Seven Wonders completely? <laughs> Avoided is a strong okay. word. You like, haven't I'm encountered not... Seven Wonders. <laughs> yeah, no. I, yeah, I've just not gotten around to playing it before. Like, mm. it's not been one that my friends have had. Or, you know, we've been particularly, you know, uh, interested in playing. I've got nothing against it. But they were like, oh, it's really easy to play on Board Game Arena because it just sets out for you. And then it works out your point totals as well, which is mm. always nice because I'm not very good with maths. Uh, so we played it about two times and I did surprisingly well considering I didn't really know what I was doing for like the first go around because it's like a little bit confusing in some of the areas where like on its surface it's very simple you're just drafting cards but like some of the cards do you know odd things with like the science cards for example they build up to one another and and the you know the the fighting cards kind of operate in their own way as well. So I was winging it a little bit, but um, by the second go round, I was I kind of figured out things a bit more, and um, I actually did worse somehow. But I think maybe that's because everyone else also figured things out. Uh, but no, it was enjoyable. I'd like to play it in person because. It's, you know, it's just not the same. I'd like, play Monopoly in person right now, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, yeah. I'd lap that up. I even play, like, one of the n- nonsensical versions where the properties aren't properties, they're just references to a show. Yeah. Like, oh, you've landed on Ron Swanson's desk. Yes, I'll buy that. <laughs> I've already got his moustache. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. That's fine. <laughs> I, I liked it. Um... Yeah, we we played some of that, and we'll probably play some more games on Board Game Arena at some point. Uh, I saw they had quite a nice collection on there, mm. including Cult Express. Uh, it works really well on Board Game Arena. Um, yeah, I imagine. It's very nice. I mean, it, that's the thing about it over, say, something like Tabletop Simulator, is that it has a slightly narrower selection of games, but the scripts are really good. So yeah. like, it just handles itself. Yeah, you're not always guaranteed to find a good script mm. uh, on TTS, whereas Indeed. like board game arena ones are pretty good. Mm. Um, so we played that. I played some of Overboss. Am I allowed to talk about that much, Arvith? Yeah, there's no embargo. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a game that's coming out this month. Uh, it was on Kickstarter last year, and it's a spin-off. I'd call it to the boss monster series of games. Oh, okay. So they're, they're the card games where you build your own sort of dungeon using different cards which represent the rooms and the aim of the game is to kind of uh, build the best sort of scoring dungeon but also kill the, the heroes coming in. 
um, before they get to your layer and, and can attack you. So I have played the original boss monster before, but this uh, overboss is quite a different game. It doesn't have the heroes art in it. Your your goal isn't really to to murder stuff. <laughs> it's more to to have the potential to murder. So you build overworlds. It's like very retro video game inspired. Think like Link to the Past or that kind of era. Hmm. Uh, it looks really nice actually. The components feel really good. Like the, there's loads of tiles in the game, and they feel really solid and just good to hold. Um, the inlay is a bit weird. I'm not a fan of it. It seems like there's like gaps where things should go but they don't go do you think that might be for expansions Maybe. is it that kind of gap or is it just this kind of they've taken a generic and they unplonked it in maybe there are there was a gap that we've kind of used to to hold bits that we aren't using during the game but that could be used for an expansion but there are also just gaps in the inlay where you're like nothing's going to go in there it's just hmm. very odd um but yeah, in the game you you use tiles to build your overworld, and the tiles it's a bit like a rolling light. I think that's the kind of closest I can feel to describe it in the sense that you you draft tiles, uh, so there is a random element to it in terms of there's only four tiles available at one time, but you can choose between those four, and then depending on what tiles you use in your sort of overworld your score points from from those tiles like collectively so the aim of the game is to score the most points so it's really it's actually quite a lot of fun i enjoyed it it's very straightforward uh last we played it last night uh and both my flatmate and i weren't really in the mood for like learning anything particularly new uh, but then when I, you know, I got around to doing it, it was very easy to to both learn it myself and explain. And I'm looking forward to playing it again because we played it with the most like basic, like mm. form. Like there are advanced ways of playing it, and the basic form was fun. But I can see it sort of um, getting more depth with the more advanced tiles that you use. There are characters that you can play as as well that kind of alter the way you score points. Uh, and there are different modes. There's even a solo mode included, which I might give a go. So mm. I may mm. be doing a review on this. So if you want to hear more thoughts on Overboss, you can keep an eye out for that. Um, Is it, it similar at all to King Domino, if you've played King Domino? I've not played King Domino. Delicious King Domino. Because mm. that, that has like a similar thing to what it sounds like you're describing in terms of drafting tiles, but it doesn't have those character abilities. Because oh. I like, I love Queen Domino, and I really like the idea of Boss Monster, not Boss Monster, Overboss. Oh. Um, so I'm I'm really intrigued by this, and it's yeah, it's good to hear that you're you've had a good positive first impression. Because yeah, yeah, Boss, Mon- yeah. Boss Monster, I feel gets gets a long way on its theme, and then it's kind of like okay, this is like a fun idea. But after a few mm. games, it was kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I think the real test of this one is going to be, is it going to be interesting after, like, several more playthroughs? Because initially, like, 
it didn't take us long to get our heads around it and we were you know using strategies and uh during our playthrough at one point i was convinced that i had lost because um there's these little things you can get called portals that allow you to move things around on your overworld uh, because the way you've also got these tokens which are monsters uh, and then depending on how you pair monsters with the different tiles um, you can score points that way but you can also score points with how they're arranged on the overworld as a whole so i didn't manage to get any of those portals whereas my opponent got two <laughs> so i was kind of sat there you know a bit butthurt but it turns out i won the game because of the way i'd placed the the monsters in relation to each other not necessarily matching them with their tiles because overall they that doesn't get you that many points compared to arranging them on the board and because you're taking portal tokens instead of monsters you're getting less opportunity to do that so even there like there's some additional depth alongside the the tiles you choose and how they work together so i think we're definitely going to obviously give the advanced tiles and modes a go and see how they work but i enjoyed it so far like the theme is fun like the components look really nice the 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 rule book is really large and the print's really large as well which i really appreciate because it just makes it like really easy to find mm. you know the bits that you need and like it, it's just i like that i like having a a larger book with fewer pages rather than a smaller one with more pages mm. so the so far impressions are positive mm-hmm. great it sounds really interesting the the yeah. monsters in particular that sounds different to something like queen domino or king domino so yeah i'm yeah, yeah i'm really really intrigued by this mm. oh. um and we played root didn't we matt we did yes go on get it over with go on i, I, I won Go uh, on. <laughs> we played so we played on the new winter map, which is Ooh. I think it was originally one of the physical expansions, maybe the river foe. The winter map uh, was just on the on the flip side of the base game. Oh, was it really? Yeah, the original game's well, board is you've got the, the sort of lovely autumnal one, and then you oh, flip it, of course. and you got the winter one where you have to discover what um, what clear what clearings are what to which sort of faction oh, they belong. Yeah, you're completely right. God, wow, mm. it's been so long since I've played Physical Root. <laughs> I know, but, I know. But yeah, so we the winter map came out uh, this week for the app, uh, which yeah, we've been playing. Yeah, it's a free update. So. Mm. And it's like the, like the physical version, it's completely randomised. So yeah. the clearings are randomised and it's a different layout of paths compared to the autumn map. Um, which I... I won as the Vagabond, but I will say that I don't love the randomized clearings because we ended up with a clump of rabbit clearings in one corner, a clump of fox clearings in the other. Mm. And then there was, the, it happened to be that the four spaces where the ruins token starts, which the Vagabond can explore to get items, mm-hmm. which are needed to complete quests and get points, they happened to be a fox, a rabbit, and a mouse. So I spent the entire game essentially on those four spaces yeah. because I could just pick up stuff, hop across, complete a quest or get a runes token, hop across, do another quest. And it just, I won, but it didn't, it felt quite hollow and I yeah. felt quite bad at some point. Um, I mean, also you will have, with the clearings clumped up like that, it would have been a pretty open game for someone to just play a Dominion card. 
So um, yeah, I I was lucky enough to get the Rabbit Dominion card, which allows someone to win if they hold three Rabbit clearings. Mm-hmm. And the Marquis de Cat happened to start in the clump of Rabbit clearings. So if they had drawn that card, they would have just won. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, there's yeah. no it would have been really difficult to fight our way there in a round mm. and manage mm. to do it. So I feel yeah, that was that was kind of a shame. because we've typically played with the set clearings and I think that yeah, feels a I lot think more that's deliberate and balanced yeah yeah that's the superior way of playing like i wasn't too affected by it i played the eerie we did this random so we just did Mm -hmm. a randomly selected faction um and it wasn't too bad because i i managed to get cards that kind of worked with with the situation for the most part although there were some cards that i just never used because for example the rabbit clearings were all the way in the other corner where i started so they were kind of useless because I couldn't use them to build or fight in or anything. So they kind of sat in my hand until eventually I made my way up there. Mm. And um, yeah, I was the only one. <laughs> I felt like I was the only player who was really making any huge effort to stop Matt uh, towards the end. Because I was just like punching you <laughs> or your your vagabond character. But even then it didn't it did nothing because mm. you just kept repairing your stuff I, straight I had so it. many items from picking up the ruins very early on that by the time I was getting attacked I had so much to damage and still be able to do things and I happened mm. to start as the tinkerer so I could repair things anyway that yeah. I did kind of just snowball into an unstoppable uh, force but mm. I still I was close yeah I think but it, it shows that that particular group we've been playing with We've got to the point where, and I think it's it's best with Root, where everyone's at a similar level of experience. Because if someone isn't kind of doesn't know how they all interact, and the best way to go with a particular strategy for a particular faction, um, that can make it really hard as a beginner. Mm. But we've typically been all within kind of five, five yeah. to ten points or so. And yeah. this time with the randomized clearings, there was a much bigger kind of spread. And I yeah. think that was solely down to just the luck of where everything started. Yeah, the the player uh, controlling the Woodland Woodland Alliance had a particularly difficult time because Mm. they were trying to get to clearings to to rebel uh, because obviously they can only have a camp in a limited amount of clearings and they they just couldn't get to the clearing they needed to to Mm. rebel in. So um, definitely prefer the the base sort of set map to to the winter one but it looked nice yeah i will say that app continues to be fantastic in terms of its presentation and making what is quite a complex game relatively easy to understand yeah yeah it's a really it's a really standout app especially with like um moving from clearing to clearing Mm. that's not always clear when you need to give someone a card or not um yeah and i think yeah just having that automated is really nice yeah Mm. all right me and is that everything you've been playing is indeed all right we will move on over to you johnny what have you been playing recently uh well i mean uh blaze in the dark dungeon dragons deadlands you know the usuals uh but also i have actually played some king domino recently Mm. um which is just good clean fun um we actually played it for an episode of you've never played um and yeah i just it's super chill um and i really like it but um apart from that a lot of my uh sort of tabletop stuff has just been prepping to play games um <laughs> i've been painting my frogs for cosmic frog um and getting very excited about you know a time when i'll be able to play that 
uh, prepping Blood Bowl miniatures for a league I'm going to be, well, I am in the process of setting up with some friends. Just a lot of sort of like wintering out, waiting for the return of, of face-to-face stuff. Um, but also a friend introduced me to No More Jockeys, you know, like the folk game. It's basically, it's a game that was invented um, by a few people, including Alex Horn, who invented like Taskmaster. So it's actually a, a TV series um, or it's on it's on YouTube. Um, and it's just a, a game where you have to name a famous person um, or a person, you know, uh, fictional or, or real, alive or dead. Um, and then you rule out a category to which that person applies. So you could say Frankie Dottori, no more jockeys. And then someone has to come up with a category, uh, sorry, a person and then add their own category. So in the end, you have to remember a whole bunch of things. And you've got three challenges um, to say like, I'm going to challenge you on that because, um, you know, I believe that blah, blah, blah was a jockey. Um, and if the challenge is, is verified, then they're out. And it's just one of those really infectious, lovely folk games that sort of spring out of seemingly nowhere and are just like endlessly captivating. Um, so I've not, to answer the question, I've not really been playing much, but I've been thinking about games a lot because <laughs> um, I I find folk games absolutely fascinating. Mm. Like... Um, one of my favorite ones is from like an old article on Eurogamer um, where like, I think it was in the thirties, it was just a massive surplus of upright pianos. So as part of Village Fates, they used to have box races where they had two teams, two little boxes with um, uh, sort of little like letter boxes in them, uh, two upright pianos and sledgehammers. And the goal was to be the first team to post the entirety of a piano through a box, like through a letterbox <laughs> into a box. And that was just a game that people like commonly played. So we're like, oh, what are we going to do with all these pianos? Let's smash them up and make it a race. That's um, true excess. Just Yeah, it's, isn't it? It's Now it's just like, I'd I'd love nothing more than an upright piano in the corner. But no, there were just, there was a surplus. They had to thin out their numbers like they were deer in Richmond Park. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I just, oh, now I just like. Pianos just rolling around Richmond Park. Oh god, they were, they were savage. <laughs> just catching children in the lids and just clonk, clonk, clonk. <laughs> oh, like the, Mar- the one in Mario 64. Mm. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just... I I think, it, I think it's just... This is purely driven by nostalgia for society being sort of normal. But I'm just remembering all of the fun games we used to play. Like, uh, when I worked at ITN a long time ago now, we had a game called Titos, where we'd offer to make a round of teas and then we'd just stand, stand in the kitchen just trying to throw the tea bags in <laughs> Uh, it was a two round. It was a two part game because you try and try and throw the tea bags in the mugs, and then you try and ping the wet wet tea bags into the bin with a spoon. So um, I guess yeah. Basically, I've been dossing. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what have you been playing, Matt? Uh, I've actually played quite a lot for once. Hey, hey. Uh, helped by the fact that I wasn't on the podcast last week. Um, ah. But I so we played Scythe, which me and probably spoke about last mm. week. Oh, um, I did. Yes. I I've cooled off on Scythe, I will say. Um Ooh. I I still like it. I still think it's a good strategy game, but I think playing something like Root has really embedded that that's the kind of strategy I really, really enjoy. Yeah, I kind of I hate to say this. But I'm sorry, Johnny, but I'm kind of starting to get into Matt's corner with this. That's fine. I, I love it... I love both of those games. I'm not <laughs> yeah, I'm not bothered. Yeah. It's just I can't believe that the worm is finally turning. <laughs> I don't know it's because we've been playing more Root and Scythe recently but um, I think in some ways Root there's less to to keep track of mm. but there's 
there's more like each element has more to it that makes mm. sense so yeah um <clears throat> i like both i'd be up for playing both it, i kind of see where matt's coming from yeah i wouldn't turn down scythe like i say i still no. i still like it but i think it's just embedded in me that it is quite it lacks the the flavor that i really enjoy from root where mm. a lot of the interest is from those interactions between the different factions whereas scythe mm. you're in your own corner for most of it just yeah. trying to get those stars for yeah and yeah. most of it isn't conflict because conflict has kind of re- you know massive increasing losses yeah, yeah as, as you go on yeah so uh yeah uh we've pl- played soulbound obviously we continue to play soulbound as part of dungeon breaker season break yes that game is that's that's a you know it's a fun rpg that system is yeah. pretty solid it's fine. a little wordy but for warhammer it's not unexpectedly wordy i suppose yeah um yeah. it is actually it's it's so true to uh age of sigma that i actually kind of respect it it's slightly clunky but you're like oh yeah no this is this is exactly how age of sigma mm. works well not exactly but it's it's a very authentically warhammer game and yeah for that it should be applauded i think there's sarcastically more... or not <laughs> <laughs> i think there's just more work involved in the setting up than there is necessarily in the playing of it. Like once you've got a good idea of what your character can and can't do, then like things are a lot more straightforward. It's just getting to that point takes a lot more than I'd like. Mm. I think that's true of a lot of role playing games. Though. I mean, Shadowrun, yeah. the first time you make a character in that game, it can take days. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. It's it's involved. But mm. you know, again, once you're out in the world and you're like, here are the things my character can do. Here is, how I, here is how I do those things and I have a basic understanding of how the world can hurt me, then you're away. Mm. Yeah, so. I think the, the system itself is nice and neat, but I think a lot of it just comes down to, like I was saying, the, almost the rule book. It just needs to have a more... Needs uh, to be better organised. Yeah, just a more accessible kind of lead into here's how you make a character because instead there's a lot of side notes where it's like okay turn to this page to understand how metal works turn to this page to understand how toughness works and you have to turn to those pages to then work out how to calculate those because when Mm. they're introduced at the character creation level they're just kind of mentioned Mm. and not really spelt out enough and the archetypes that are kind of pre-generated um i guess like concepts of a character yeah they're they're really good to get you in there but it doesn't do enough to explain exactly what any of that does and it True. doesn't, it doesn't hold your hand enough. I think as a mm. as a new player, and maybe that's because we're using the the core rulebook rather than the beginner set. Because I think there's a starter set out there. Sure. But I think once you're once you're rolling, it's pretty straightforward. I don't think mm. it's my favorite system in the world. The whole mm. here's what you need to roll and here's how many you need. Um, but it works. You know, you're just rolling d6s. It's not super complicated to work out what you need to roll. Yeah. But those the first adding up and filling out that character sheet can be quite a lot to to wrap your head around where it's like, okay, well, this is my level of this and this compares to this, and that means I'm good at this, but then this it's like your melee and your ballistics are measured in good, average, poor, but then your other traits are measured in numbers. Yeah. And then you've got toughness but also <clears throat> wounds. So there's just a lot of kind of things that overcomplicate there's what a, yeah, is, there's a lot when of you strip it parts. down. It's it's simple, but yeah. Um, yeah. I have played. I'm kind of rattling through these because, like I say, I've, pl- I've played quite a lot. Uh, I played mm. the demo of Micro Macro Crime City. Um, Incredible, which I think we mentioned a, a couple of podcasts back. Uh, mm. It's basically Where's Wally, but as 
Where's Wally meets Sherlock Holmes consulting detective? Uh, which is a pitch that I am invested in. Mm. Um, and there's a free demo uh, you can play online because the physical edition of the game is currently sold out. I think it's being reprinted this month, uh, February. Mm. So it is a game where you have a, a large map uh, and it looks like a Where's Wally photo. Or if anybody's played the uh, mobile game Hidden Figures, Hidden Ob- Hidden Figures, I think it's like black and white, little people walking around a city, buildings, you know, interesting things happening. But you are then given a deck of cards to solve a specific mystery. That's like, okay, somebody was shot in this square. Who who did it? But it will take you through the steps of, okay, find the body. That's your first task. You find the body, you turn to the next card. It's like, okay, where were they before they were shot? And it's like, okay, they were at the chip stand. Okay, right. Because you, you can have follow... to look for them. Okay. Yeah, because oh. the way the map works is multi- the same person will appear multiple times. So it's like multiple time periods stamped over each other that's so you can follow them back across the map so it's like oh okay they were at the chip stand before they were shot in the square and it's like okay who shot them and you look around them as they're followed it's like okay this person was following them it's like why were they killed trace it back further and so on and it's really it's not i guess it's not really a game it's more of an activity but yeah they, they turn it into a it's is as much of a game as something like Consulting Detective is. Yeah. It, because it, it does put like, that structure in place. It feels like you're the deputy and the, the detective is doing the big reveal and talking mm. you through it and being like, you know, it's, it, I can almost picture Daniel Craig and Knives Out being like, well, where was he before he was a body? It's like, oh, my God, he was at the chip stand. Yeah. Um, that um, sounds brilliant. It sounds so, yeah, so satisfying. There's oh, a free I'm... demo, and that that convinced me enough where I'm now desperately trying to hunt down a copy of this. I'm writing this uh, down. I'm and... imagining that the expansions are going to be very straightforward, and the fact they'll just be additional maps. Well, like... you say that. So they've. I don't know how many cases are included in the original box, but they have put out like DLC essentially that uses the same map, but I guess they've just built in other cases already. So yeah. you can go on the website and they're just free to kind of browse through. Yeah. And they've they suggest even kind of framing the map. It's it's large. Um I think it's it's a like it's bigger than poster size, I think. Wow. But they suggest framing it, putting it on a wall and almost playing it as like a you know, if you're passing one day, like passing on the way to do something, you can just stop for a couple of minutes and try and work one out quickly. It's just, yeah, it's something great. that is original Johnny enough, but really, like... it really excited me. So it's been yeah. all I've been thinking about recently. That's um, amazing. Well, like I say, there's a, there is a free demo, so you can go and check it out. Um, and I won't spoil any more of it. Uh, but okay. it's, it's, it's a decent, it lasts about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, uh, depending on how long it takes you. Um, but that was enough to just tip me over the edge and be like, this is a fantastic idea. How has no yeah. one done, how has no one done Where's Wally, but crime scene investigation before yeah so why is wally been murdered yeah uh yeah uh, i played sakura arms um which is a head-to-head card game battler it was fine um <laughs> the main thing i want to dive into here is i played it on tabletopia because that's where the demo was mm. because um i was playing around with tabletopia and board game arena over the weekend uh i also played a bit of red seven um and another card game uh full disclosure we were given um kind of gold access um for a while by the tabletopia people to kind of check it out um and i will say i don't love it 
Uh, it it works fine enough until you want to do anything that's too specific. Um, mm. So we were playing a game that involved a deck of cards. Um, and at one point we needed to split the deck, then shuffle cards into each separate thing and then put them back on top of each other. Yeah. But you can't split a deck easily enough. The controls are just quite imprecise and fiddly for trying to stack cards into like a single object of a deck. So <clears throat> it just took way longer than it needed to. And then at one point we had to search through the deck for a specific card, which is a function that Tabletopia just does not have from what I can tell. Mm. Um, and Tabletop Simulator is not perfect, but I think it gets by on the fact that it, there is so much in it. It it's is so flexible yeah. that you can basically do anything you want and it comes down to the strength of the script. Mm. Um, or the strength of the mod. But Tabletopia, I just felt, was missing a lot of the functionality I really needed, and it just became frustrating at points. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm kind of intrigued to, to check it out. It might be good for certain games, because uh, there are elements of it that I did like. Um, versus something like Board Game Arena, I think the presentation is, is a bit flashier. Board Game Arena is very... Uh, Basic, yeah. Yeah, the script the scripts work, but it is it feels like a website that was designed in two thousand and two and then <laughs> frozen in time. <clears throat> but it's we played uh we played Red Seven on that and it was nice to just have it do the like, hey, you can't do that because you'll you'll lose if you do that, or that's an illegal play. Yeah. Um which I think is really nice when you're trying to teach something. Mm. Um but yeah, it, it was interesting to try out both properly. Um, yeah, it wasn't necessarily one over. I did end up getting a subscription to Board Game Arena because, uh, you know, there are, yeah, and there are things on there that aren't on Tabletop Simulator, and they're kind of you know officially sanctioned and all of that. Um, yeah, which is nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's kind of it. I then played a bit of Monster of the Week uh, over the weekend. We wrapped up our um, kind of wizard mystery that was going on. That was very good, and we are now going to start on a different RPG at some point. My regular Ooh. group. We fell off for about five months due to various uh, personal reasons and events. Um, but we're now back on the train. Monster of the Week is still great. It's a great system. Uh, powered mm. by the Apocalypse. Um, but we'll probably switch to a different system once we figure out what it is. Uh, all right. Uh, shall we move on to news? Yes, yeah, please. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have one that's quite uh, quite an exciting one for Dicebreaker specifically. Uh, Alex Meehan. Hello. Tell us about Merchants of Magic. Oh, I'm in the chopper. We're, we're flying over the Settlewatch world, which is scary. <laughs> uh, but I'm okay, I'm in the chopper. Um, yeah, there's a new Settlewatch game uh, called Merchant of Magic. Uh, but it's not a co-op game, it's a roll and write, which is very odd, but exciting. Um, yeah, so in the game you're you're playing as uh, merchants who are selling their wares to the adventurers of the watch. So basically, the people you play in the original set watch. Um, so you roll a set of four uh, polyhedral dice, um, and then you choose two of those results to craft some new items or research into a new spell and then once you've done those things you can stock your shop with those new items or spells 
and the wandering adventurers will be looking for specific items and spells they want to buy uh, and if you can stock your shop with those quick enough then they will pay you some monies for them uh, mm. however if you take too long the heroes will go to an opponent's shop instead uh, so you've got to be quick um, you can also earn potions that can help you change your future dice results um, so yeah this is designed by Clarence Simpson who hasn't done any of the previous set of watch games it's actually their debut tabletop title I think they've done more work on video games um, but there I don't think there's going to be a Kickstarter for it I think it's just being released later this year and as far as I could tell it will be released at a retail price of $20. Guess it. So around £15. Uh, which is readable for a roll and write. Mm. Um, yep. Yeah, give. Give, yeah. please. My <laughs> want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it seems they're expanding the set of watch universe. Yeah, it turns in really nicely with Swords of the Coin because a big part of that yeah. is that there's now a merchant you can go to and get the items you desperately need. Yeah. So, and you know, you can, you can not only make some coin, you can feel like you've just... Help some some adventurers survive the night when inevitably yeah. inevitably a fire drake pops up in first position <laughs> and it all the worm starts to turn. Mm. Yeah, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that they're they're expanding the lore of Setter Watch. Mm. And uh, creating new games in that universe. Mm. It's been a while since I played Setwatch, um, but in terms of the universe, it's it's not just generic fantasy, right? It has it it has a touch of it's obviously still fantasy based, but it mm. I remember it having a touch of something a, a bit more distinct, at least. Yeah, it's kind of got its own mythos about the unhallowed and how they're all dreadful and they have acolytes in service to them and. Because uh, the the original premise is that you've already you've already won the big evil has been defeated, but now you're kind of returning from campaign. You've just got to survive that little bit longer as they try to summon unhallowed to get their revenge and kind of start their own fight back. Um, yeah. So tonally, I really like it. It's you know it's it's not the apocalyptic. You know, if we don't do this now, the 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 West will fall. Sort of you know um, Lord of the Rings scale thing. It's what comes after, which I quite like. It makes it feel sort of intimate, especially when you consider it's three people sort of with their backs to a, a blazing fire trying to survive while another one has a nap. <laughs> Screw that other one. <laughs> well, no, they're doing important things. They need to heal up. Yeah. And possibly yeah. scout ahead or check the map. Or heal if they've rolled a six. <laughs> We don't know anything about the box yet, do we? Because that was that was also one of the things about Set of Watch, where it folded out into this kind of lovely, mm-hmm. the box is the board, and I feel like that might be something that a roller might could do. But I'd be yeah, again, uh, don't take my word on the lack of Kickstarter because I don't know that hundred percent. But you can pre-order it from Rock Manor Games right now, so presumably they're not bothering with that. Um, I don't know anything about the box either, so. But hopefully we can get our hands on a copy, maybe, if we try it. Hmm. Yeah, I'm intrigued. So Watch was a, it was a solid little card game. It's nice to see hmm. it, it go the distance and not just yeah. kind of, you know, fade out. Do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Uh, Alex Mean, you also wrote this one on a very different kind of note about the new game from the Exploding Kittens people. Yeah, talking about doing the same thing over and over again. Oh! <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Uh, yeah, so Exploding Kittens, the company behind Exploding Kittens and various other games, have announced a new game called Taco Cat Spelled Backwards, um, which they've assured the player that you don't have to spell Taco cat backwards if you want uh, but it's a card game where you play cards themed around palindromes so um, for those who might not know a palindrome is a phrase or word that is uh, sounds the same whether you read it uh, in its intended fashion or backwards as well so yeah taco cat is also taco cat backwards um uh, so as far as I know, you you play cards of either the same value or higher than your opponent uh, until you have to play your final card in your hand and it has to be lower than your opponent's card. And then the taco cat will come to you because it likes that. Apparently. <laughs> um, and that's it. The, the game falls out. Uh, I will say, for its credit, the game box looks really nice. I like mm. the way it looks, and I like the fact that, like Set of Watch, it folds out to form the box. Like they're doing a lot of these portable games, which I think is a, a really good idea on on their front in terms of they're the kind of games that you would whack out while waiting for something, maybe at a convention or or whatever, uh, and that makes a lot of sense. As for the gameplay, it just doesn't really sound that exciting. It's just, um, that's how they get you. That's how they get you. They just, they, the box is the gingerbread house, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Inside, <laughs> like, Ooh, look at the shiny the, box. Um, <laughs> like at uh, one of the pack shows, they had a giant like booth where you were, you went to buy games, and people were standing around watching people buy games because it was a big thing. It was like it was shaped like a cat, and you'd press a button, it would be like ching ching, and a thing would pop up, being like, "You're buying this and this." And it was just a human sat there just running the things up when they were pressed. And then like the big joke was an arm would come out with your purchases and then be like, give me the money. Um, they know what they're doing. Like it's, yeah, it's, I... it's very, it, they're very well presented. You know, the art from the oatmeal is, you know, great and Exploding Kittens and stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's, I actually bought Exploding Kittens when it came out because of that art. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's something that I feel like Oh god, this is going to sound really gatekeeper, but people who play board games a lot, it's just like it's one of those things where you sit there being like, "Oh, you're having a nice time, but you're doing it wrong because it's bad." Actually, like no one comes <laughs> off well from talking about these games because either no, you're like, I... "Oh, I love them," and people are going to think you're um, lacking in taste, or you're going to be basically doing what I'm doing now and saying that they're bad and people shouldn't like them. Actually, and you just I seem mean... like a uh, um, uh, an unpleasant person. I think it's more of the case of. If you like these kind of games, then that's fine. Like you'll have, you'll probably have a lot of fun with this. I mean, it only costs twelve pounds, so it's not a rip off. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people will have fun with it. It's just not the kind of party game or or card game that I would play because mm. uh, I. It's not that I I dislike simple games. It's that I like games that that are engaging and it, this the mechanics of this game just don't. 
It sounds like a lot of style over substance, which, you know, it's fine. They present their games really well. I think they market themselves incredibly well. Um, it's just, I would love that with, like, compelling gameplay as well. That would be a fantastic combination. Um, I'm also not a huge fan of the whole, like, aesthetic of, like, slightly gross out, like, cuteness. It's not really my thing. Like, I think the taco cat is fine. It looks cute. And I like the way the box looks. But the whole, like, gross out aspect of it doesn't really do much for me. Yeah, like bathing cats and all of that. Yeah, not I, a fan of that yeah. sort of thing. I, I think you're right, Johnny, though, in the, and, you know, like, in the... It shows how far you can get on like decent visuals because yeah. realistically, I wish other the board game industry, would yeah, that. <laughs> often there are some fantastic gameplay designs and mechanics that are done dirty by boring themes and bad art, mm. and it's kind of a I think it's a hangover from a lot of the the hobby from a decade plus ago, where it was catering to like a much more niche audience, and it was things like exploding kittens that managed to bring you know. Exploding Kittens and Cards Against Humanity, which I would say is far worse than yeah, Exploding yeah. Kittens. Um, but but they show the power of kind of strong presentation. And so when you take if you take that and apply it to better mechanical games, you know, there's there's much more out there. Yeah. And like I think we're seeing salmon. that. Yeah. Like Happy Salmon is a perfect example of that. Like Happy Salmon is incredibly simple and it looks great and it comes in a fantastic little bag same with the uh, banana grams like they're both really great simple games and they are a perfect example of combining solid simple mechanics with like a really good looking like package that's yeah. it there you go <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot more out there but you know if if exploding kittens gets somebody to move on from cosmic humanity or gets them into like better like if they go from exploding kittens to something like skull or you know, even a fake artist goes to New York, you know, yeah. all the better for it, you know, it's it's found its place. But I think it's, yeah, it's the the worry that people just just get stuck in the Exploding Kittens verse mm-hmm. and never... Yeah. But, you know, it will do what it will do, I suppose. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to this one, which I'm going to bring up quickly. The, the Monster Hunter World board game monster hunter world the board game to be specific um which we heard about uh, last summer i think originally uh teased by steamforged who you may know from other such video game adaptations as dark souls resident evil horizon zero dawn other things mm. they've done a lot um but they've mm. also done god tier and guild ball and some original things and bard song as well um which mm. we saw recently uh, but we were able to break the news that it will be coming to Kickstarter in April. Um, and Chase spoke with some of the folks involved in the design and development of it about what we can expect. You can find the full kind of interview over on the website. Um, but the long short, short of it is that it's Monster Hunter. If you played the video games, it will probably be quite familiar in terms of what it's doing. Uh, you get together with a gang of friends. You go and smack a big monster on the head with a big bone sword. Uh, then you carve it out for bits. And then you make a bigger bone sword. Then you go and beat up a bigger monster. And then you make a bigger bone sword. And so on. Um, some of the new things are that it will involve a narrative campaign with some branching decisions. 
which is, I'll say, an interesting choice, given that Monster Hunter, not generally known for its storytelling... Well, Zora Magdaros <laughs> is making a, 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 an exodus. Why are the Elder Dragons doing that, Matt? We've got to find out for the good of the research fleet. You're a is... member of the Fifth, for crying out loud. Can you well, tell I'm replaying Monster Hunter World at the minute? <laughs> I can't. I was going to say, I played like 150 hours of that game, and I remember none of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going through it again at the minute with a friend, and it's. I love it. I think it's great. It's, it's so joyful yeah, for something that's... where you're just killing rare and beautiful creatures. It's just like, oh, look at this incredible bird. Well, I guess I'll Let's smack it on it. the head now. <laughs> oh, oh good, I broke, it. its, <laughs> I broke its back. We're probably going to get more scales from it. And I've got a little cat friend helping me do a murder. Mm. I mean... Look at, look at the cat. Don't look at the murdering. It's a palico. It's yeah. also doing murder. As a lover of cats, they are murderous creatures. So, oh, God, yes. Yeah, it, it fits perfectly. Uh, also, great chefs, it turns out. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's... I'm into minds about this because I really like Monster Hunter. Um, I think some of Steamforged's games have been really interesting and decent. Um, even the video game ones, which I think have been more of a mixed bag. I, re- I liked the Resident Evil 2 board game. Mm. Um, like Bard Song seems really interesting. Guild Ball was, you know, it was very different, but it was it was mm. cool. Bard, um, Song's, Bard Song is really good uh, mm. from what we've played anyway. So hopefully that that's kind of the direction they're now going in. But I also really didn't enjoy my time with Dark Souls, the board game. Yeah, uh, though it was many years ago now. Um, apart from the boss decks, which are making a re- a turn in this game, and it sounds like good. that's that's the focus they're going on. Is they they kind of know what was good about Dark Souls, and they're bringing that to the fore here. Yeah. Um, so because the yeah the trip to the bosses in the Dark Souls board game it's just interminable, really. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm intrigued, and like I say, the Kickstarter is coming in April, and it will be a heck of a Kickstartery Kickstarter. Ooh. It's going to have a lot <laughs> of miniatures there will be the hunters in there there will be some of the monsters i don't think they've confirmed all of them um but the raflos which is kind of the uh the the monster hunter yeah yeah, the the poster dragon um toby kadachi and um what is it it's not a puke puke is it oh yeah but that that sounds about right there's a what's the the one that's a literal t-rex that's an Anjanath. Okay, yeah, that's in there. So we, yeah, you can see a miniature for that in the, yeah. the news story. Um, so I think they've said there'll be four miniatures in the Great box. Jagras, there we go. Great Jagras, that's the one, yeah. Um, and Diablos, uh, the sand kind of... Mm. Diablos is the sand-like horned one? I don't know. Uh, it's been a while, I should play more Monster Hunter. Mm. But yes, it, it is coming in April, it will have all that stuff. It sounds like they are trying to do a decent job of adapting it, um, but... I guess we'll find out more when yeah. that kickstart hits and when we get to play it for ourselves. But uh, yeah, if you're intrigued by Monster Hunter, expect it soon. Okay. Delicious. All right. Great. <laughs> uh, let's move on to this next story. Just a quick one. Uh, Sarah Thompson, who you may remember from having designed the pretty fantastic Dungeons & Dragons combat wheelchair, um, which they put out for free as a free set of rules and then it was turned into miniatures. Um, they've now released a free DLC for Cyberpunk Red, uh, which is a cyber chair. Um, so it is, it is as it sounds, you know, you can have your Cyberpunk Red character, use this cyber chair uh, to move around. It's personalizable. That is not a word. 
you can personalize it and cater it, uh, tailor it to your specific needs. Yeah. Um, it's available for free on uh, our Telsorian site. Um, and that's kind of it. I mean, it is, it's rules for a cyber chair and cyberpunk red, but it's just great to see more publishers, mm. you know, including, and particularly for free, releasing it for free and just making it available yeah. rather than in a paid supplement or source book. With absolutely um, badass art of, of yeah. uh, a character heavily designed on, <laughs> on Sarah themself, um, sat in the chair. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. And I think like, cause so I've actually I've played in a charity game of the Witcher RPG with Sarah and uh, with with Doug Cockle, the voice of Geralt of Rivia, and uh, some other sort of notable people. But um, Sarah really started out doing um, like prosthetics for for disabled witches because like they're really passionate about the fact that Geralt of Rivia is is a disabled protagonist, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I think it was that, and then their work with the the combat wheelchair that really made Artel Sorian sit up and say, "Yeah, we could be doing more," mm. um, because I think so often in rpgs you know in in fantasy as much as as um sort of cyberpunk stuff with themes of transhumanism um players are players see disabilities as as weaknesses that can be stamped out thanks to magic or technological advancement and that's not really fair like that is a an attitude that is just rooted in ableism um Mm. and i think it's great that publishers are stepping up even if you know like it's it's baby steps in some cases for now but it's it's good to be having those conversations, just being more aware and putting cool stuff like this in. Yeah. Mm. Why wouldn't you want to sit in a chair with the crab legs? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the chair is incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, the character's name is Nyx Phosphate as well, which is both oh. incredible and also extremely cyberpunk. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just it's just rad across the across the board, really. But you mm. can, like I say, you can find that uh, on Artelsor Insight. Uh, as worth saying, uh, Sarah as well, they release a lot of, I think, their own rules um, for free. Yes, um, you can find them on Twitter well. at. Uh oh, hang on. Mustang um, Mustangs yeah. Art. Yeah, yeah. Mustangs uh, yeah, Mustangs Art, not Mustang Art. Um, mm. Yeah, well worth. Go check it out. Mm-hmm. Do it. Uh, let's move on to this next one. Very quick one. We mentioned a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, Magic the Gathering card that at the time was up on eBay for an eye-watering sum. Um, and it has now sold uh, this autographed Black Lotus. Okay. Uh, it has sold and become the most expensive Magic the Gathering card of all time. Um, uh-huh. uh, the winning bid uh, was $511,000. Um, or just over $511,000. Um, so yeah, Black Lotus... Uh, for those folks that may not be fully aware, is a card from the original run of Magic the Gathering. Uh, is normally held up to be the kind of most sought-after card uh, in Magic. It normally goes for not small sums, but smaller sums than that. Yeah. Um, but typically it goes between kind of 30 grand and 200 grand, depending on uh, the condition and whatnot. Uh, but yes, this one was signed by the designer and artist... Um, whose name I'm just trying to find and can't find. Um, Christopher Rush. Um, so yeah, not the card itself, which is even kind of stranger, but the the case that it is yep. put in to protect it. Matt, uh, you because, don't want to ruin the card. Well, the card itself is a perfect mint condition yeah. 10. What? It's a whatever. perfect mint condition, right. Matt. 
yeah, it's 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 a ten. It's a ten out of ten. It's a ten out of ten um, yeah. for condition, and then and then the person does signed the box, and that means it's worth more than half a million dollars. Yeah, I really wish that one day I'd just be rifling under my bed or something, and I just come across like um, I wouldn't. This would never happen because I don't have any Magic the Gathering cards. <laughs> but I'd just come across a Magic the Gathering card, and then be like, oh, oh well, I wonder how much this is, and then send it on an auction for like. $500,000. Yeah, I think that's... It's a it's what a lot of people hope for. I think Pokemon cards is the other one that a lot of people are like, oh, I have Pokemon cards in, you know, in the loft. They'll be they must be worth hundreds. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of the time it is uh, either printing errors or, um, or very specific runs of certain cards. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, the Charizard that sells for a lot of money um that is a specific shadowless charizard that has a printing error it's not just yeah. your kind of bog standard uh charizard mm. it um, probably wouldn't help that the wasps have have most likely gone to them uh the ones in the white anglo-saxon Paris protestants <laughs> they're just <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've they've given them all away at the bake sale yeah. um uh, they've got to fix the church roof i mean this would probably fix a few church roofs I, um, I dare say so. Gorgeous. But, I mean, cynically, it's probably gone to a collector who in a few years will sell it for even more money. Yeah. Um, because that tends to be the way these things go. But Because who's yeah. who's spending half a mil on a card to crack it open and actually use it? Well, you know, exactly. the thing it was designed for, rather than just accumulate wealth in the form of Magic the Gathering cards. Mm. I mean, this yeah. happens in all sorts of, sort of, you know, hobbies and industries, doesn't it? You know, just... Mm. People like rare stuff and feeling yeah. important for having it, I guess. It's, yeah. it's not something I understand because those those figures are absolutely astronomical to me. Yeah. But, you know, uh, also I live in London, so I'm happy to spend four pounds on a pint of beer. So, <laughs> Well, not happy to, but yeah. perfectly if you, willing to. If you put that beer in a case, though, Johnny, and waited 30 years, who knows what it might be worth? Yeah, who knows what you're True. For? Mint condition beer. Mint condition pint of five points. Five I had one of the uh, promotional Coca-Colas from the London Olympics. Um, it was, I think it was you get one if someone wins a gold medal while you're walking around the, the space where the London Olympics was held. Right. I was like, okay, this will be worth money, maybe. Um, it's like, I'm not going to drink this now. I'll just hold on to it and see. Uh, and forgot about it. Probably forgot about it and found it when I was um, visiting my mum's house a year ago or a couple of years ago. And? Uh, it turns out, worth nothing Jack Scott <laughs> so and and by that point it was flat so the lesson to be learned from this oh. is just enjoy things yeah Don't enjoy your life my mum once speculated on the pickle market uh, there was an enormous <laughs> fire at the Branson pickle factory and like uh, the word on the street was that they weren't going to be able to make Branson pickle for ages so there was going to be a massive shortage so my mum was like right and bought loads <laughs> of Branson and then like price didn't go up that much people don't People don't need Branston pickle because um, other pickles are available. So, uh, so then we just had loads of pickle. We got through it. That's yeah, not a bad thing to have, to be fair. Yeah. yeah, that was really funny. I remember at the time thinking, like, this is this is a strange, strange thing to do. But mm. it's funny how often pickles come up on this podcast. It's like they've got their own section of law now. It's because they're excellent. Yeah, pickles, gherkins, etc. Do right. it. Make make a make a page on it. Talking of a pickle, uh, oh. 
Tabletop Simulator, uh, which we were speaking about earlier, uh, recently update launched an update, um, oh, yeah. which claims Sorry, to not. add support for 20 or increase the number of supported languages to 29. Um, so all of the languages currently supported by Steam, the platform on which it is available. Um, unfortunately, they kind of took the, let's say, lazy route or whatever, mm. you know, minimal effort route um, and used Google Translation or uh, Google-powered machine learning to do the translation rather than actual paid translators. Um, and so this caused both um, a lot of backlash on Twitter, understandably so, uh, but also some kind of amusing errors, uh, which is part of the reason that I've included this um, in that it took, as with you know translation software, misses the nuance of different languages and mm. context, um, so, for instance, it started to translate the lead designer to be lead designer. Um, and also it translated one instruction from Japanese or to Japanese uh, into press Z to bread. Um, I don't know the original context because it's a screenshot on Twitter um, from it. So I don't know what the original instruction is. It's just tied to one of the uh, keyboard shortcuts in the menu. Um, but it is press Z to bread. So I guess that's, undo that's, maybe. That's fascinating because, like, bread would in this in this context of the sentence, bread is is acting as a verb. But believe you me when I say <laughs> that wouldn't really work. Well, I think because it's the keyboard shortcut, the word that was translated into bread is at the top of the column for the the different keyboard shortcuts. Um, mm. So it would have been a word by itself originally. Um, but to to add to this. Um, Berserk Games, which is the developer of Tabletop Simulator, um, then kind of said, uh, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to allow the community to create their own translations and we're going to feature the best ones. Oh, um, right. <laughs> effectively just going, hey, you could do the work for us for free, but we'll feature it. So, yes, mm -hmm. not it's not, not been a great rollout. Um, I don't believe they've announced... Um, any kind of response to this backlash. Uh, I believe Chase reached out to them while writing this story to basically ask, hey, what are you doing? Uh, are you, you all right? <laughs> but all yeah, right, it's, it's been kind of a mess across the board. Uh, so yeah, just bad translations, kind of iffy uh, suggestion of just benefiting from free labor on behalf of the, the people using the game. Yeah. Which all could have been avoided if they'd just... Got proper translators and paid them. Because um, I would take a stab here. I don't know the exact numbers, but I would assume Tabletop Simulator is doing okay. Um, particularly mm. at the moment. You know, it's it's often on sale. I believe it's pretty darn popular mm. on Steam. I think they'd be okay to pay yeah. some translators. Even if it takes a bit longer, like, it would be better to do a good job. Yeah, I dare say people would have been out. more appreciative of a a delayed but comprehensive and yeah. actually useful translation function. Yeah. Mm. Um, so there we go. Uh, finally, I think finally, let me hop back to this thing. Yes, finally, uh, a little fun one to end this new segment on. There is a new world record for Jenga. <laughs> go so, on. So, <laughs> so this is from the, the Guinness uh, Book of World Records. Um, it was achieved by a 12-year-old, um, Aldine Maxwell, uh, from British Columbia. And on November the 29th last year, um, 
Maxwell managed to stack 693 Jenga blocks Pardon? on top of a single Jenga brick. Um, so it's not a, a normal Jenga tower, which makes this even yeah. more impressive. It is, it's almost 700 blocks on top of a single brick. Um, huh. There is, so it's the equivalent of 13 Jenga sets. So it used him for, took him 13 Jenga sets and just over an hour, which oh, is actually quite it's quick. It's vertical. What? Yeah, it's the, a vertically uh, standing brick. It's not even. Yeah, That's it's wild. So there is a video of this, um, this and it is. What sorcery uh, is this? It's a lot of bricks on top of a single vertical jenga brick. Um, so it beat the previous record, which I think is cited here somewhere. Uh, do, 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 do. I can't find it now. Four hundred and eighty-five. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. So <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> so more than 200 additional bricks um but yeah it's That's yeah just yeah. i mean i've never considered uh going the going the way of trying to beat the jenga world record but you know fair fair play yeah, yeah. If, if that's well, what you want to do if in many ways you could argue that this is the true spirit of the game because uh jenga is uh, the imperative of the Swahili 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 verb to build? It says build it. So there, there you go. Yeah, um, and um, Lord did, did he? Build. Yeah. I just hope that afterwards Maxwell played a game of Jenga with this enormous stack, <laughs> just teetering, <laughs> trying to knock imagine. one out. Didn't uh, he smash? He smashed a couple of Guinness World Record books into it, didn't he? Uh, like think- a. It's like a S my D. Wow. I think he stacked them up next to it afterwards. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he knocked it down with Guinness Guinness World Record books. Um, but the, the Guinness World Record uh, report about it uh, says that Maxwell has wanted to own a Guinness World Record title since he was six years old and has been balancing and stacking objects for as long as he can remember. So Probably about know. six years then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, good on him. Yeah, no, sorry. I'm swinging wildly back and forth on this kid because I'm like, people work longer than six hours to to earn a record, mate. Um, (laughs) Ignore me. I think that uh, this kid should um, pack that up in exactly the state it is, leave it for 20 years. Yeah. And sell it. (laughs) No, it will have gone flat. No one likes flat Jenga. So yeah, there there we go. If you're looking to take on Maxwell's record, all you got to do is all oh, all you've got to do is stack 700 Jenga bricks on top of a single brick. I mean, take you what an hour and a half? 94. Well, it took took him just over an hour, so presumably you know yeah. hour and a half for for more than that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Easy, easy. Uh, yeah, let's so get expect, him. Yeah, by the time this podcast rolls around again next week, expect <laughs> us to smash that twice over yeah, yeah, yeah. just to spite a 12 year old kid I'll do um, it Matt uh, I'll do it we're not yeah, above Matt. it over here on Dicebreaker <laughs> I really don't want my homework to be try and stack as many Jenga bricks on top of one another as possible try and destroy a 12 year old's dream. lifelong dream uh, okay let's take some emails email. <laughs> um, if you've got an email for the podcast you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com you can find us on twitter at join dicebreaker you can find us at dicebreaker.com or join us on YouTube over at youtube.com slash dicebreaker. Mm-hmm. It'll be nice to hear from you. Uh, let's read this one from Emily. Mian, would you like to read this one, please? Oh, I'd love to. Emily says, Hey folks, I was recently listening to episode 21 of the podcast. Uh, 
and Mian was discussing how she'd make a new and better game using Warhammer minis as part of a dexterity game. God, that was a while ago. Um, my question challenge for you is to design a Franken game using various game pieces from other games that you own. Uh, how would it play? What elements would you take from the other games? Thanks, Emily. So I figure the best way for us to approach this is we each pick one mechanic. Okay. <laughs> or one one concept or component that we like, and then we yep. try and smash them together in the space so of, let's say, five minutes. Okay. We're all Frankenstein in this scenario. Right. Yeah. Okay, okay. so it is components specifically. So okay. pick okay. a physical component that you like. And we'll we'll quickly hash together. You know, get this whole game design lock is easy, isn't it? Yeah, just knock it out in five. Yeah, yeah no problem. Components I like the little pouches from Sheriff of Nottingham. They're Ooh, so atmospheric. Never has the snap of a plastic popper been so charged. Mm. I really like the blocks in Junkart. I like the fact that there's so many different shapes. I like the fact that there's so many different colours. I like the fact that they're basically solid wooden. It just feels really good. So Ooh. yeah, throw them in there. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the the tower from um, Flick 'em Up, Dead of Winter, uh, that you drop zombies down, and it's like a tidal wave of zombies that come rushing down this tower, and toward all your meeples kind of stood around. Okay, how about? Um, it's almost like a it's almost like a tower defense game where you get enemies kind of falling down this tower and heading towards certain points. But you're using the cubes from Junkart, uh, ostensibly or co- cooperatively, to build better defenses against these these incoming enemies. However, this is a, a hidden role game, and there is one traitor who is actually secretly trying to build uh, rubbish. Build well, yeah, either build rubbish that's ineffectual or kind of like build it in such a way that they can actually take out a piece and funnel all the enemies in and all of the defences have fallen. Just we, compromise the integrity. Yeah, mm. we can call it zombie wall bastards. J- no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll call it we'll call it um, what was that zombie movie with Tom Cruise in it? World War Z. World War Z. That was we'll do a tie-in game with World War Z. That's relevant, right? That that film came out recently. <laughs> we'll do that. Yeah. Okay. Easy. We'll get the IP um, for that. It's probably worth like one pound. Okay. Let's say they refuse the IP and we have to go back to the drawing board. Same mm. components. What have we got? Mm. Okay. How about this? So you've got the pouches, um, and you, in a similar fashion, you divide them up. And one of them has some kind of target that someone needs to take out, but it's hidden within one of those pouches. So you're then trying to split your blocks and build them, build three different, let's say, uh, constructions to defend against each of those pouches. Um, Almost like the little uh, things you have in Space Invaders that get broken down bit by bit. And one of them is the correct one, but you only have so many blocks, so you have to choose how to divide up your blocks. So it's like, do you stack all your defences in front of one in the hope that it convinces your opponent that that is where your target is, but potentially leave the real target undefended? Ooh, I like that. And then you throw a load of marbles down the thing, because that's fun. 
Yeah, marble runs. I'm adding marbles, yeah. Okay, big big marbles are furious, man. And Matt's idea has been nixed. We've been sued into the ground. We've got one chance to make this work. What's your game? Oh no, you're asking me to do spontaneous game design? Oh, um. Oh god. I'm really bad at these sort of things. You're our only hope. Big marbles are going to come in and they're going to smash our knees with mm. socks full of marbles. I can hear them coming. The rumbling. <laughs> You're Please, just no. adding pressure to me now. You're making the situation even worse. Um, oh, I'm really bad at this sort of thing. I I don't know. Uh, you, you put someone's head at the other end of the tower. <laughs> you just file blocks down it. Oh, God. If they survive, it's like knuckles, but yeah, <laughs> but, but with wooden blocks. In fairness, I think big marbles would probably go for that. No, no, you use a drum cart. Um, use a drum cart pieces. You fire them down the tower. Okay. And then someone has to try and catch them in the pouch, or they'll get them in like the eye. Oh, that's good. That's I pretty like that. good. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Violent, <laughs> the two options are catch or eye. Yeah, catch yep. or eye. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because. Uh, yeah, okay. So if they hit the eye, then the person throwing them down gets points. But if they hit the pouch, then the person catching them gets points. There you go. Uh, and then you just really want to hope you don't get one of those arch ones, because imagine they would hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. Or like the, the, the cylindrical ones. Mm. Perfect. I mean, we're going to need a heck of a marketing team. To get past the legal ramifications and health and safety concerns, just but say, I think say, we've got a million seller here. Just say it's not our—it's not our fault, you know. What you do with with the pieces, <laughs> apart from you're... the rules we supply you with, yeah, that's what they hit They're not rules; they're suggestions. No, they're dictates. Yeah, they are obligations. We're just saying you could do it. So oh, what if a... you do it, then <laughs> yeah. it's your own problem. The, what is this peer pressure, the game? Yep. Well, you could throw a block in your friend's eye. You could. <laughs> you Thank, you, well, yeah. you could. Thank you, Emily, for a great yeah. question. Yeah, Hopefully uh, it doesn't prove to be our downfall. <laughs> yeah, please don't. Uh, all right. Johnny, would you like to read this one from Bumberiest? Absolutely. Hello, Dicebreaker team. I bought the TTRPG book Dream Askew slash Dream Apart because the, quote, belonging outside of belonging slash no dice, no master system sounds interesting. However, I have never gotten either game on the table. Dream Askew is about a queer community already on the margins of society during the collapse of civilization. Dream Apart is about a Jewish shteti in a fantastical Eastern European countryside that doesn't really want them there. Being neither LGBTQ nor Jewish, I don't know a whole lot about these communities. I worry that if I portray such a character from a place of ignorance, I may do something disrespectful like play a stereotype or perform cultural appropriation. Do you have any suggestions for respectfully role-playing a non-fictional community or culture that you aren't intimately familiar with? Bunburyist. That is a great question. Mm-hmm. And a, a, a delicate issue because, you know, it, you know, I think it is very important that queer communities and you know, uh, communities like the Jewish community are represented in games. I think that representation is wonderful. Um, but engaging with those topics, especially if you don't belong to either community and don't know about them, um, can be nerve wracking because, you know, as as Bamburia says, you don't want to be disrespectful. You don't and you don't want to be appropriative or, or fall into a um, into sort of just portraying a stereotype. Um, 
a similar thing happened, well, not happened, was a similar question came up when I did a panel with uh, Brandon Dixon, the, the creator of Swordsfall, when somebody said, like, you know, like, look, I'm a, I'm a white guy and this is, this is Afro, Afro-punk fantasy, basically. Um, but, like, how do I explore this and how do I introduce tension to a party without just reintroducing colonial narratives? Because if I'm threatening an indigenous um, culture that is blossoming in this world... How am I not just trying to reintroduce these these themes? Um, they're thorny issues. I think. I mean, I think the, the simply the way the question was written shows that already Bumbleus is doing, like, is is thinking about it and being cautious. So, because I think being sensitive and, you know, if you don't know much about these communities, educating yourself in a way that you can portray them with a degree of accuracy. Um, without being disrespectful is important. Also, just talking to people in those communities, get their opinions on on that representation and whether they think it's tasteful or not, and you know, ask them whether they'd like to be involved. Um, I believe, um, me and when you played um, Zhongxi, didn't uh, there was a section on portraying Chinese American communities, right? Yeah. So, like, my response to this question would have been, um, I think. A good role-playing game that wants its players to engage with, you know, minority communities will put the effort in in explaining, uh, okay, this is kind of how we encourage you to approach it. Here's maybe some of the background that you might want to know about these communities. Uh, And if you're not part of this community, then here's how you can avoid, you know... um, portraying stereotypes or being insensitive or disrespectful. So Zhongxi did a really good job of that in the sense that that game, you are playing Chinese-American immigrants. Like, you you don't have the option to not because the whole point of that game is, you know, uh, exploring those people's experiences, but also it's it's built into the whole theme of it. So with Zhongxi, and we were lucky enough to talk to Banana and uh, Senfeng as well uh, about... You know what's the right way of doing this, and they literally pointed us to the the game's rulebook, which you know says you know if you're not Chinese American, you know we encourage you to uh, probably not use an accent. Um, you know, uh, also just try and approach these characters not just from their their race or their culture, but also like from the fact that they are human beings with you know exactly the same problems well they have problems they have personalities they have dreams and motivations and ultimately like when you think about it like that it's very easy to to just play a character um you know maybe if you're worried about it uh, maybe avoid leaning to it too much uh and maybe take some some sort of elements from you know, if you want to do some education on the communities or if the book provides you with some, some lore and ideas. But don't, like, you know, don't lead into it too much if if you don't know a lot or you're not part of those communities because in the end, like, that's probably a better way of approaching it. Again, I'm not an expert because I'm I am neither Jewish. Uh, I am queer, but... Um, Obviously, LGBTQ is a huge umbrella. So if I was 
looking to portray a trans character in in this this role playing game, I would have to, you know, think about the way I'm portraying that person. And yeah, like talk to people from those communities. Um, there's plenty of material out there. Hmm. I think that's one of the 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 many benefits of indie role playing games as well is that <clears throat> because these creators are much more direct. Um, and often they are kind of one person behind publishing, writing, sometimes even illustrating as well. They are generally, you know, much more open to communicating directly with people who play their games. Um, so Dreamskew, like every order, um, I believe is quite active on Twitter. Like, obviously you don't want to, like, um, you know, respect people's boundaries, respect their privacy. But I'm sure, you know, if you were to get in touch and just say, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about this, do you have any advice? Like those creators, you know, they put their games out there for people to play them. And so as long as you're taking the right approach, I don't, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. like has been said already, you know, speak to people from those communities, try and understand it, approach it all respectfully. Um, don't try too hard because that runs the risk of like offering um, in the other way. Yeah. Yeah. The, these people, these communities are not like, they're not traits for your, or like personality types for your character. They're just... Mm they're just elements of them um but also like playing these kind of role-playing games is a really excellent way of gaining of like building empathy i think with different people who are different from you or different communities like if you imagine the idea of like oh i'm imagining you know a character with these with these elements or as part of this community i think don't be afraid of playing games like this but do think about it in how to approach it in the right way yeah but yeah thank you for the the really uh, interesting question and important question um i'll read this one from callum uh real new to D, and so is the group i've managed to rustle together we're going to have to do it via video chat for obvious reasons any tips to make it fairly seamless our dm has only hosted in-person games step one uh recognize and uh permit yourself the knowledge that it's not going to be seamless Mm. Um, but that you're still you can still have fun. Um, I would say cameras on if you can, because um, just being able to see people and see the reactions makes it a lot easier. Um, I don't know if you play with miniatures or not, but there are things out there that sort of help you move miniatures around. You could use TTS, you could use Roll uh, Roll Twenty, um, but just um, yeah, it's it's tricky. Um, just sort of. Have a chat with everyone and maybe just talk about what their expectations are um, and what their worries are about the game. Uh, one thing I find very useful, actually, is um, making sure everyone can hear the same music. So if everyone's got headphones on, there are ways to do it. There are sort of websites where you can plug in YouTube videos and it will play them, you know, synchronized for everyone. Or if you're on Discord, there's a free plugin called GroovyBot where you can invite GroovyBot to join your call. GroovyBot doesn't listen to you, uh, but as in doesn't pick up what you're all saying. GroovyBot will follow your commands. Um, but you can tell it to play an entire playlist. You can skip, you can shuffle, um, you can pause. So, you know, you can stop the music for dramatic effect. You can, you know, change its intensity, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a really, really good tool. Um, and just a light touch like that is enough to really bring people in. I very much do it when I'm running Games of Deadlands. So I run two separate campaigns at the minute. Um, and when it's sort of time to start recapping and time to go, when we're done sort of just chatting about how everyone is, which we do for about 20 minutes, I'll start the music and be like, all right, let's get into it. Mm -hmm. And 
um, you know, luckily I'm blessed with some excellent players, um, me and included. Um, and I think ev- we never had to even discuss it, but everyone puts their phones away. No one's clicking around on other tabs. We're just really like leaning forward and leaning into the session. And um, it's dead nice. So yeah, that would be my advice. Yeah, I think we, we've had this question quite a few times on this podcast, but it's always worth reiterating as well. It's like, mm. particularly if you watch well, us or Critical Role or whatever it may be, um, you know, both in person and over video call, just never expect your session to necessarily be like that. Mm. Um, because in in the in the case of Critical Role, they are literally professional actors. Uh, yep. But even in our case, you know, there's video editing. There's you know, we do it as a job regularly. It's a very different kind of experience. Yeah, um, we're also playing two video. We make decisions that yes. we wouldn't make yeah. just if it was a personal game. Yeah, and but there's, I would say as well as setting the expectation, like Johnny says, also just have kind of a session zero. Even if you're halfway through a campaign, do like a quick side story, if nothing else, just to work out technical hiccups, because there might be someone that's accidentally muted themselves or someone doesn't know how a virtual dice or where to find a virtual dice roller or how to best handle their character sheet. So I think trying to instantly continue a campaign you may have been running in person virtually can be very difficult because you might decide that actually... You were using miniatures before, but you don't feel like using Tabletop Simulator or not everyone has access to that technology. Um, so it might be better to just do something that's more kind of theatre of the mind for however long it lasts. So I think just having a session or two where you can both set those expectations, but also work them out to some degree, because you might go in thinking something will work and almost certainly won't you know that is that's the law of technology is something will go wrong someone will drop out something will break um so just allow yourself that space don't don't put too much pressure on yourself um or in this case your dm um to to get things exactly to the level they were or the level you'd like them to be it will it will take time again it will be like starting a new group in some respects or starting a new rpg for the first time because you'll be learning a different kind of process um, so just just be easy on yourselves more than anything. You're there to enjoy it. Um, so anything that you're not enjoying, whether it's fiddling around with technology or whatever it may be, just maybe consider dropping it or or changing it until everyone's happy. Hmm. Um, less combat. Because <laughs> yeah. like like D and D combat, especially if it drags on forever, people get bored. I do hmm. anyway. So that then there's more temptation with them to go off and look at their phone or click around on a different tab or something. So maybe if you if you usually have lots of combat in your games, maybe siphon that out a bit. Or I don't know if you're, it looks like you're not the DM, Callum, so maybe suggest that to your DM. Just say, hey, maybe a bit less combat because then people might be less uh, tempted to kind of just float off. Because it's a lot easier to do that when you're doing it over video. Mm. Yeah, it's... It's very impolite to do that in person, but when you do it in video, it's a bit more, it's a bit more uh, tempting. There you go. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for all your questions. That is for now all the time we have on this week's episode of the Dicebreaker Podcast. Uh, but before we leave you, Johnny Kiedini, head of video, what's coming up on YouTube.com/slash/Dicebreaker <laughs> over the next all week right. or so? Well, um. You've never played Rolls On. Uh, I believe the next episode should be um, 
Patchwork, which Ooh. I've never played. But you can Joy. watch our episodes, I know, on King Domino and uh, Welcome To. Um, we are rolling on with Age of Sigmar Soulbound. Um, what else have we got going on? We've got a lovely painting stream coming up next week. You know, all that good stuff that, mm-hmm. that you can find on youtube.com forward slash Dicebreaker. Fantastic. Uh, and over on Dicebreaker.com, uh, as well as, obviously, uh, Daily News, uh, we have had, like I mentioned earlier, Chase spoke to the folks behind Monster Hunter World, the board game, about that. So you can catch that on the website right now. We have a review of June Imperium um, that's gone up today. Uh, so a couple of days now, if you're listening to the podcast, um, which sounds interesting, uh, kind of a deck builder based on, obviously, Dune. Um which sounds it's sort of like a mixed bag, but not bad, but just kind of, yeah. Um, we will have a piece from Reed Conley on the benefits of logging your gameplays, which is something I've never done, but I've always been intrigued by. Uh, and it sounds like Reed went for a similar kind of situation uh, where he kind of started looking at it and exploring it to find out why people do it and then ended up discovering quite a lot about um, kind of the games he's playing and what he actually enjoys versus what he just happens to own. And hold on to. Um, and coming up, just in time for Valentine's, uh, one Alex Meehan uh, has updated our list of the best board games for two people or for couples. Yeah, um, as the de- as a, the designated dice member expert on all things love and romance. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I've updated the the couples list, so you can find the perfect game to play with with your partner or hmm. or. You know, or, or maybe with yourself. Yeah, love yourself. That's yeah. The... And if but... you're polyamorous, then there are also lists on just games that are good for more than two people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of those games can also be adapted for more people. Um, hmm. uh, so, yeah, but also there's like loads and loads of lists on there. So if you're after something in particular, then you'll be able to find it. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for now... That is this week's Dicebreaker Podcast. Thank you for being here, Johnny Chiodini. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us, Alex Meehan. I love it. It's great. (laughs) So sincere all the time. I've been Matt Jarvis. Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) We will return next Friday with another episode. But until then, look after yourselves. Look after yourselves. Stay safe out there uh, and have a lovely day. Goodbye. Goodbye.